All right, guys, welcome to today's episode of the Y'all Y'all Show. How have y'all been this week? Uh, I guess you can't answer that, can you? But anyway, today's episode is about bears, all about bears. Before we get started, I'd like to thank uh, New Albany, Barnes Crossing Chevrolet of New Albany for keeping me on the road, hauling those pigs, going to those shows. Ah, thank you, New Albany. Man, bears. Y'all know anything about bears? I know absolutely nothing except every time I would ask my daddy, you sure you can do that? He'd say, does a bear poop in the road or in the woods? I'm sorry. I don't let him poop in the road, maybe, but a coyote. <laughs> but today I got Anthony Ballard Jr. with the, how do I say it, the M? M-D-W-F-P. Yeah, that right there. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so uh, anyway, nice to have you, Anthony. Uh, you are a junior. I am a junior. Um, my dad is Richard. I'm Richard Anthony Ballard, if we... Go with our our full name, yeah. but uh, fun fact about that: my account got hacked uh, a while back, and so I had to go from Anthony Ballard to Anthony Ballard Junior. to change it I on Facebook. You. So anyway, I got that's just you. Kind I got you. Back. Well, you know, I just figured your daddy had to be the man and say, <coughs> you know what, I want a nothing just like him. Let's call him Junior. That's right. That's right. <laughs> but anyway, but you, so we got Anthony here today, and uh, you do wildlife research with the Bears of Mississippi. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah, I started in uh, February of two thousand twenty-three. 2023 February, so we're at a year, right at a year on officially. This. Yeah. Officially, so I, I took over um, our pre my predecessor Richard Rommel. He actually retired in November 22, okay. and so I was kind of in the interim there, you know, getting this through the hump, and then actually, you know, applied and was hired on in February. Okay, well that's all right. And you, and before you started messing with the Bears, before we get into this, your your main job was was kind of like what I do was deal with the nuisance wild hogs and, and stuff like that. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Nuisance species biologist. I've been on since 2020, uh, excuse me, since 2015. And so I did a lot of wild hog work before then, disease work, trapping, all that kind of deal that you've, that you've kind of um, gotten into here lately and been pretty good at, as I understand. Well, <laughs> I catch all the dumb pigs. There you go. <laughs> so, well, that's good to kind of have a like-minded person. And now, and like I said, what made you decide to move over to uh, the bear side of it, I guess what I'm saying, or, or what what drew the attention to say we're going to research some bears. Well, the, so a lot of people don't know bear black bears in Mississippi have been researched since um, 2003 was when it first actually came over under the umbrella of wildlife and fisheries. And um, I think one of the things that that I I wish had been that that story had been told a little better because there's still a lot of people out there that don't even know that bears are in Mississippi. Right. And so that's kind of one of the emphasis that I've had moving over into this was kind of telling that story that we've already been doing in addition to what we're what we're kind of working towards. Gotcha. I gotcha. And like I said, you I know like I said, I know nothing about bears. So I'm not the educated person. All I can do, I can keep asking you questions as a as a uh, just a normal citizen or whatnot. And I know a lot of people have bears on the place and they like to see them. And, and you showed me the social media group of the Mississippi Black Bears. And I was kind of reading through there. And then I would stop and uh, look at those pictures. And I would kind of read through the comments because some of those things, you know, would interest me. Like, well, from what I've always heard is a bear is basically like a big giant coon, you know. So do they aggravate or agitate much as a, as a raccoon would uh you know so as a property owner some people might not like that but as a uh i don't know biologist or a land steward we always want to make sure that we have wildlife and if, if bears are going to uh be in mississippi we want to treat them and have them the best we can but do you have a lot of problems with the bears uh for say like 
number percentage. I'm a percentage guy. Right. Uh, you know, like if we got sixteen thousand bears and only four of them tore up something, that's not a problem. You know what I mean, percentage wise. But do y'all have a lot of problem with bears or? or we get a lot of calls. Most of our calls come from bears getting in feeders. Right. So, and it kind of makes sense because right about that time that the feeders are going out, so you know, usually September, October, people are putting cameras and feeders out. That's the time where bears are entering a period of their life called hyperphagia. So they're trying to eat as much as they possibly can to store up that fat layer to go into wintertime. And so at the same time that they're the most hungry, so they go to eating several thousand calories a day to up to 20,000 calories a day, that's when all the hundreds and hundreds of pounds of free calories wrapped in, you know, real thin plastic are going out on tripods in the woods. Right. And so when you have that intersection there, you know, you, you do have a lot of that, um, you know, those bears getting into feeders. Right. And, 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 and I've seen I've seen that on the social media pages and the sites. And it was, it was really interesting. I didn't see a whole lot of hate on it. You know, I mean, as far as I didn't see it through the comments, but on our club, uh, we call it the hog proof feeders. They're feeders that come out of Texas. They're all metal and stuff like that. And some of those that I've seen that, you know, they're not very, they just stick the hand up in the protein feeder and, and dig them out some and, and, and go on about their way. And, uh, but so y'all collar these bears. Do y'all try to collar every, every, like every bear or like every bear you get a call on? Like, are you just in a certain area? Like, I don't know where well, they are. <clears throat> So we'll we'll kind of back up to the history and then and then kind of go forward from there. Yeah. So let's re- rewind all the way back to the late 1800s, early 1900s. Okay. All right, so this is the time of Teddy Roosevelt, um, the, the the teddy bear hunt that people know about in Arnold, Mississippi. That was right here where the teddy bear was was born, so to speak. Okay. Uh, this was the absolute mecca for black bear hunting in the United States. That's why the president of the United States came down and and hunted in in the South Delta at Arnold. <clears throat> See, I didn't know the part. It was in Mississippi. It was in Onward, Mississippi. Okay. I knew yep. he got the nickname from the, from the bear, mm-hmm. whatnot, from, from a little bit of history. It's been 30, 25 years since I've been in school, since I graduated, but I learned that before. So I bet I did not know that was from Miss, in Mississippi. Yep, and that was uh, Holt Collier that, that was the one that took it, that guided him on that hunt. Okay. Uh, so to make a long story short, the reason I bring that up in, in you know public engagements and stuff that I do is to emphasize that black bears were an important game species here in Mississippi. And, you know, you had market hunting, you had a lot of habitat destruction and, and, you know, basically timber harvest and a lot of habitat changes that caused the decline in that species. So you, you go forward into the early 1900s and then, uh, you know, as time went on and those regulations and, and those federal and state protections went in place for the black bear, those numbers started to rebound. And so as those numbers started to come back, uh, you know, we, for example, we had the first breeding uh, female that was documented in 2005. Uh, the, like I said, the black bear um, kind of came under the umbrella of wildlife and fisheries in 2003. And so as we started to do that research, we were just monitoring the changes that were already taking place as those bears were coming back. And, you know, the South Delta, originally it was, you know, the go-to place, all that huge, vast bottom and hardwoods. Right. That was the the place to be for black bears. That was where they were most abundant in the best habitat. Well, that's where a lot of the early research was as well. And so there were just a few. And then as those numbers grew, obviously geographically, they started to spread out as well. And there were some restocking efforts in other states that kind of bled over, you know, those populations started to come over to Mississippi. And so really all we've done, you know, we get accused of stocking black bears here in the state. That's absolutely untrue. 
um, we're just monitoring those changes as they occur. I got you. So, and me being a dummy, they're coming from where? Mostly Alabama, excuse me, mostly Arkansas and Louisiana. Okay. And, and then there's another um, population source there in the Mobile Basin in Alabama. And so if you look at a map of where, kind of where the bears are now, it's mostly up and down the Mississippi River, uh, particularly from about Vicksburg South, southwest Mississippi, and then southeast Mississippi along those kind of the, the first couple layers of coastal counties right there in the boot hill. Okay, and they crossing the river? Are they they taking the Vicksburg Bridge? How are they getting? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> well, I, know the, I know it's been a drought. The water been down a little bit. <laughs> well, it's funny you say that. The, the water level can actually affect how many, like how likely they are to cross the river. Right. But to answer your question, yes, most of the bears we have here in the state have crossed the river or one of their, you know, predecessors has uh, in the past right. to get so, over here. So yep. have y'all have y'all had actual collars own bears that have crossed maybe during the you didn't cross any cross back into uh arkansas or louisiana or yeah we've seen um so matter of fact this you were talking about trapping um we knew of two louisiana females that were here in mississippi mm -hmm. uh so one that was collared back in 2020 and i ended up catching that bear um back in december of okay. 2023 so uh finally caught up with her called her took louisiana's collar off of her put our ear tags and our collar on her, sent their data back. But she crossed the river from Tensaw Parish somewhere 2020, 2021. And then we've got another one that we're going after in Wilkinson County um, to, to do the same thing, to kind of change your residency, I guess. Right, right. <laughs> well, oh, that's all right there. And like I said, I, I just don't I don't know. So uh, just people, I know people probably think in the same way I think. Uh, and like I said, I don't have, I, I don't have any problems with bear because I, I don't deal with them. Uh, so on the collaring aspect, talk about, tell me before we get to the collaring, how do we go into catching a bear or how do you know, you just get your calls from people say, I got a bear. And then we say, well, we'd like to do some research with it. Well, we were talking about the, the social media aspect of it and that Facebook group, Mississippi Black Bears. And so shameless plug for that. But, yeah. uh, it, so that kind of started out whenever I came into the bear program, that was one of the first things that I did was try to launch that group. And originally it was, you know, to kind of catch some sightings that might fall through the cracks. You know, we tell people go to the website, mdwfp.com, go to the bear program. And there's a link there to, to fill out, you know, some information. Let's say somebody didn't want to do that, but everybody wants you to see their game camera pictures, right? Mm -hmm. And so the thought was that we could catch some of those that are falling through the cracks and get some more reporting in, you know, somebody that might not have gone to the website. But as time went on, you know, it kind of became a repository for me for people that put, you know, if we put a game camera picture on there, it's pretty recent. It's in an area that we're trying to catch bears. And I maybe message that person and say, hey, here's what we're doing, trying to get some research done. Would you mind if we come and trap? And most of the places that I was able to trap over this past summer were a result of some kind of social media contact. Right. And, and so it it became a really good source for us to kind of draw from and get new properties, especially in, in different areas where we didn't have a lot of contacts. Right. And like I said, social media is a good way because a lot of people just don't know how to, to reach out or, you know, like you said, you can go to the website, but it's so it could be so much effort to yeah, say, let me fill right. this out. Let me tell you where I'm at. Then they got to call me when a lot of times it's just like you post a picture and, you know, next thing you know, you can get a phone call or get a, text message or message or whatever and then the next thing you know you're on there so so when you get with a landowner of course i know how it is when i deal with the hog trapping you know i'm bait i'm baiting hogs uh whether it be the feet or the trough or whatnot getting them ready and then once they're ready i go in and catch 
the hogs. So my social media, YouTube, and all that tells and shows basically all of that. Uh, of course, the most legal way, you know. <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> you know, we don't want to do anything illegal. Uh, but that being said, I actually I, I will, see. How do you say this, my buddy? So I got a ticket from the game warden the other day, mm-hmm. and I was running. I'm trapping for a person, and it was cold as I'll get out, and I'm and the beaver wasn't dead, so I had to run out there and shoot him. And I come back up the hill, and I was hauling tail because it was cold, and I was just trying to get back in the truck a minute to warm up and get myself mentally ready. And uh, the game warden pulled up. He's like, "Hey, buddy." And I was like, "Well, he's like, I was like, hey, man, how you doing?" He's like, "What you doing?" I said, "Oh, man, trying to stay warm." <laughs> yeah, yeah. All he saw was me coming around the corner with his gun, you know, running up the hill, and of all things. My trapper's license had expired. That's <laughs> like, I was like, man, look, this, this, we, we can't go here yet. <laughs> I said, please, and he was like, he's like, I'm gonna get you, but you, we gonna, we gonna work this out. And I said, as soon as I get service, I said, he said, you're good. He said, you just let it slip a little bit. So yep, anyway, yep. and uh, but that being said, uh, we all have a form of a fashion of, of things that we just happen to us. But so they know how we catch hogs. So how when you get up with the landowner. And you've got a place, a location, and all that. Now, what's the plan? He's already coming to a feeder of corn or whatever they're feeding or whatever. So, what's your mm-hmm. plan to how to catch that? So, originally, and and I came from the the hog trapping world too, as I said. So, you know, there's a lot of overlap there. You're trying to play on that nose because that's their that's how they find food. Um, and you know, originally, a lot of the the baits that we used were day old donuts because they were easy to get. They smelled really sweet. You know, obviously, they're going to attract bears. Uh, but what I saw, especially when I got into southwest Mississippi, and I guess it may have been because they were so tuned in on those feeders, and it was usually like corn or protein feed or something like that, they would walk right past a bag of donuts to hit that feeder. And so I kind of had to change my strategy up a little bit and say, okay, well, if it's feed that you want, if it's corn that you want, that's fine. I'm going to put it in a big accessible pile inside that trap, and then I'm also going to put other stuff in on top of it. So it's everything that you're coming after and then some. Mm-hmm. And then if it was a small enough amount in the feeder or one of the little smaller like plastic type feeders that was pretty light, sometimes I would just pull it completely. Right. So that bear is coming to get something to eat. And then all of a sudden what he's been coming to is gone. Okay, well, here's a pile of bait. I might as well go in here. And I trapped, uh, I think I went after a total of um, 17 or 18 bears mm-hmm. uh, over the summer. And I called all but one. Really? Doing that, yeah. And so, because all you've got to, and I'm talking about, I would park the trap right there beside the feeder, you know, feet away. Yeah, I saw pictures of them where they were uh, just right there. I think yeah. he was out there in the rain one day and somebody said, it. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and all I got to do is, is is get him to take a couple steps to, to investigate what that is. And if I can get his nose pointed in that direction, I can catch him. He'll just crawl up in that thing. And now this is, yeah. I don't know how the best way to describe it because we got the listeners. This looks like a... <sighs> What's, do y'all have a word to describe? It's almost, it ain't a 55 gallon drum. It's bigger than that and it's turned sideways on wheels. Well, it'll make sense to you once I tell you it's a culvert trap. Okay, it's a culvert. Um, All right. So, as the name implies, you know, especially a lot of the older traps would actually be culverts that are cut, in, cut into sections. And so, essentially, you got a big mouse trap. So, you got a, a trigger on one end and you got a guillotine gate that slides down on the other. Um, but what I found with those, there were a couple things that I didn't really like about them. Uh, number one, a lot of our trappings in the summertime, and those things are all metal. They get oh, pretty hot. If you got to make sure that they're in the shade, and you got to be real careful about, you know, when you're trapping bears and how. <clears throat> and so, what I kind of evolved into was what they call a Cambrian trap, which is you've probably seen that one on there too. It's that kind of tan color. It's a more of a box trap yeah. shape, and it's about four feet by four feet by eight feet. 
And so it's much bigger. And you know as well as I do, the less you can make it seem like a trap, the more the more successful you're going to be. Right. And so I want it to be big, expansive, you know, and, and as non-threatening as possible. And actually incorporated all the, you know, camera, live feed camera and electronics into that trap as well. And so I can monitor that camera. I know how much bait I have. I know if the, if the bear is showing up or not. And I can control exactly when that gate falls. And that way I know how long the bear has been in the trap. I can make a plan of whether I need to trap him or not. I can select for certain individuals if I want to right. only trap a certain bear or if I want to not trap a certain bear. And that stuff you just can't do with, you know, the the, the manual type cord traps. That's right. That's right. And it helps a lot. It's just the way, like I said, we always talk about the – when people ask me about my trap compared to other traps like the, the hog traps, like the net trap or the box trap, something like that, you have the power and the control of it basically in your hand so you can trap when you want to opposed to waking up in the morning and rather go check a trap or see if your camera sent a picture of something in the trap right and, and i'll give you an example we um i was trapping back in august and that was when it was just brutally hot outside it was 100 plus degrees for like a week or something right and uh we had trapped a bear that night we were doing a lot of workups at night because i was on time it was cool enough right and uh there was a sow and a, a cub that came in to the trap so first of all if there would have been some kind of manual trigger, there's a chance that she would have dropped that gate on her cub that was coming into the trap. So I could avoid that, first of all. That's right. Second of all, she shows up, and she showed up at 11.30 a.m. So it's about to be the hottest part of the day. There's no way that I could work her up safely as hot as it was going to be. So what I was able to do is just let her go in, do her thing, eat her bait, and leave, none the wiser. That's and right. And because if I... You know, at the the best case scenario with the manual trap would have been I caught her and then I would have had to let her out. Well, now I just created a trap shy bear. That's right. Uh, I was able to catch back up with that same bear on adjacent property in October when it was nice and cool, trap her, and now she's one of our research bears in, in Claiborne County. Okay, I got you. And, and like I said, another thing, like when we're trapping the same way, you know, I tell people about the power or the power control of it. You know, just I've had friends, a uh, buddy, game warden buddy of mine, uh, Brad, he, uh, He's been helping with a guy that's got a net trap, and he went one morning to to, to get uh, the hogs, shot mm -hmm. the hogs, drug the hogs on a trailer, left. The guy called him back. He said he got a camera down there, just a picture camera. He said, hey, more hogs went in there. Middle of the day. He's done left, but he caught hogs in the middle of the day. Well, that middle of the day is the hottest. And not that I care. I, I do care the animal itself. I don't care for hogs in general, but, I mean, there's no need in, in a, a hog sitting in – 105 degree weather out in the sun in a trap that you you now you got to go back or if you can't leave your job or if you can't do this right. so i totally get it on that part having the control of it and be able to close when you need to or need to or like you said you could have dropped on the cub or it could have just it could have left the cub on the outside to fend for itself if anything else was coming through there i, I don't know what as far as cubs i don't know how big the cub was but i mean bait sites always bring predators whether it be coyotes or bobcats, something like that, you know, and yeah. uh, and it very well with that cub being on the outside. I don't know the inside of that trap. I'm assuming they can't really hurt yourself, but yeah, it's it's it, basically just a big box. Yeah, and uh, you know, the worst thing they're going to do is scratch up their nails a little bit, but that's going to be with any trap, right? You know, but, they're going to, but it would have caused the stress of the mama knowing that the cub was on the outside to begin with, instead of just chilling. Uh, you know, when I catch the hogs, you know, if you catch a, a sow and say one or two piglets didn't get it you know there's a stress level of them trying to figure out why they can't get in there for a while but you know because i don't know anything about bears but i can just imagine you know they seemed a lot more protective 
from what I've seen, like on the internet, like you, you know, they always say, don't mess with a sow with her cubs or whatever. So, yeah. you know, even if you walked up, you know. Uh, well, we can talk about den checks. Speaking of sows and cubs, um, you know, if there's anybody that should ever been mauled by a bear, it should have been me or one of my predecessors because we're going to the den, like from me to you. We're sitting across the counter from each other right. to dart a female and then to work up those cubs that, that are right there nursing in the den. Really? Uh, and so, you know, that that's one thing that I try to tell people is kind of strike that balance between, you know, they're not these these dangerous killers and then they're not teddy bears all at the same time. And so, you know, any wildlife can be dangerous, but at the end of the day, they don't want conflict. They want to avoid you just as much as you want to avoid them. And um, and that's kind of what we're trying to, to you know, spread is, is how to live with bears because they're a native wildlife species. And I feel like it's one of those things that we can get out in front of kind of as an agency and as, you know, people like you and other, you know, folks in the in the podcast and kind of information world right. is to get out good information of how to live with bears to, to reduce conflicts before they might even happen. That's right. And the more you learn, and a lot of it's just people don't know about bears. You know, you live in a world where people want to take pictures of wildlife, and that's great, but you also live in a world where people want to get as close as they can so they can get their picture taken with the wildlife. And <laughs> yeah, I, watch some of the Yellowstone and Buffalo videos. Huh? Yeah, so I'm like, man, he's got, the next thing you know, you know, they think because it's, it may be some cubs there and you didn't know you get your head mauled or whatever. But like I said, I don't know, but I seen some of those pictures where some of those bears were like way up in the top of a, a dead tree, like a tree that had been hollowed out, but they'd be way up in the air. He's like mm-hmm. coming off, you had some ropes or something, You somebody was off the uh, top of the tree looking down in there. Yeah, so that was on den check. So basically our, our research can be narrowed down into a couple of different avenues. So the first thing we got to do is trap the bear. We've talked about that. Then we put the collar on. So we anesthetize the bear. We put the collar on. Uh, we put ear tags in and pit tags, and so we can always identify that that bear basically from here on out. So we we have kind of a history, um, and so we'll kind of you know build a, a profile, so to speak. We also get DNA um, samples as well, so that we can look at how closely related those bears are to other ones. And the eventual goal to all this is to build a good updated population estimate of of how many. That's what everybody wants to know: how many bears we have in the state. Right. Uh, How many bears do we have in the state? <laughs> well, that's a real good question. Uh, you'll have to bear with me. Um, that was bad. I'm sorry. I'll see myself. Not as bad as this podcast. No. Well, yeah. um, in good company, I guess. But uh, anyway, so but so that's that's the, the collaring aspect of it and collecting all that data. Another aspect of that is den checks, and that's actually what we're getting ready to do uh, first couple weeks in March. So February will be mostly finding the bears because they have GPS collars on, mm-hmm. but guess what? Can't communicate with satellites if it's in the middle of a cypress tree, that GPS collar. Really? And so a lot of times, you know, sometimes I'll get lucky and I have a, a point that's pretty close. Sometimes they just fall off the map and we have to actually go find them with a, a VHF um, antenna. Those collars emit a, a frequency. Okay. And so you type in each, each collar has a frequency and you go and find that actual bear, you know, where the physical location is. And then you go do that den check and the den checks are to look at you know, how many cubs, they're always on females that we expect to have cubs. Uh, how many cubs did she have? You know, how, how much do they weigh? Are they in good health? And then, you know, theoretically, hopefully you can monitor that over time and you can look at things like reproductive success, which in bears is a key aspect, you know, to any population growth, right. but especially to black bears. Okay. And so I had a question there and I got lost in it. But when you said y'all do blood samples to see 
Like y'all trying to? I mean, y'all gonna have to move some bears? Case they too kin, they too close to kin. Like, would you? Well, have to? <laughs> so and and that's another that's another good question though because that's you know a question I get a lot, especially with the you know bears getting into my feeders and that kind of right. thing. Can't y'all just take them and move them somewhere else? And Tennessee actually did a study on this, pretty big study where they would relocate bears and then they would put GPS collars on the bears and monitor those movements after they were moved. Right. And um, two thirds of those bears found their way back to where they originally originally been caught. Right. Uh, there was a bear that covered uh, a female that covered over a thousand miles in four states. Obviously not in a straight line. Right. But found her way all the way back to the exact exact campsite that they caught her on in Smoky Mountain National Park. Wow. And so, but let's say that they didn't. A lot of the, a good majority of the ones that didn't find their way back got got hit by vehicles, so they died trying. And so, even if none of that happens. If a bear is causing problems, most of the time that's because they've been habituated with some kind of food. So they, mm -hmm. yeah, they're getting in garbage. They're getting some type of positive reinforcement for being around people, being around you know residences, neighborhoods, whatever. Right. All right. Well, if a bear learns that behavior and he becomes habituated to coming around people and, and structures, if I take that bear and move him, there's nowhere I can move that bear where he's not going to repeat that same behavior. So I didn't, I didn't solve right. the problem. I just moved it somewhere just else. I, I made it somebody else's problem. At that's that right. And that's a little lot of wildlife uh, yeah. in general. I don't believe in relocating. Of course, I'm a nuisance trapper, so bears are not classified as nuisance. We don't have enough of them. But you know, I try to tell people all the time they'll catch a raccoon or, or something at their uh, or a feral cat, something like that. They'll catch it somewhere and they're like, "Well, I took it five miles down the road." And I'm like, well, "Here's the thing about that is you just took." This raccoon or this this feral cat, you turn him loose into a territory that he's got to rather on his whether he's going to come back, or he's got to fight his way to stay in that territory, or fight his way out of that territory. Right. So not only is he going to fight one boar coon when he gets done with that fight, if he wins it, he's going to keep moving and he's got to fight another one. So basically, even though you relocated him because you didn't want him at your house and you think you're doing good. You really just made him fight for his life through it. Now I know bears don't have. I guess here in Mississippi they don't have that much territory. But are they territorial to an extent of you yeah, know? Yeah, um, you don't see. You see a little bit of overlap with um, with like adult males, but the more overlap with females. So we've got, for example, um, we've got a property, a hunting club up in Bolivar County, and we've got three collared females on there. A whole lot more bears than that, but those three females, their you know, their home ranges completely overlap, and they all stay in that one area. Um, it depends on the habitat. It depends on the time of year. There's a lot of variables as to how big that home range is and how much it overlaps. Uh, but I'll give you another example. You know, take that same example with like raccoons or feral cats, and you know, multiply it by an animal that has no problem walking 100 miles in a week. Right. Uh, you know, we've got one of our bears that we collared in Wilkinson County, so extreme southwest Mississippi, almost to the state line, and we collared that bear in May, and uh, that bear went straight south and covered, I think it was 65 miles or so, and is still down uh, just east of Lafayette, Louisiana. I got you. And so, it, it, so those, so do y'all try to, when you say doing den checks and you're checking the cubs, so first of all, as a person that doesn't know, again, when is their breeding season? Because if you're checking dens the first of March and they got cubs, like when are they breeding them? Because, you know, most of, like when I catch beavers, they may be pregnant when I'm catching, you know, later than normal, but they ain't just necessarily had them. So what, when is their breeding? Uh, do you, or do you know? Yeah. yeah. So a, a quick breakdown of that. So typically like the height of breeding is going to be late July and early August okay. for bears. Okay. Jeez, so, it's hot. 
Yeah. <laughs> and they, what? And they, and they both got black fur coats on. Um, so anyway, so you've got um, your breeding that occurs then. And what's really cool about bears and, and kind of unique is they, they do what's called a, a delayed implantation. So typically in most reproduction, you have fertilization, you have implantation in the uterus, and then that embryo starts to develop right away. With bears, that process is delayed. So they've got that fertilized embryo, and then it just kind of hangs out there in suspended animation until they get that fat layer built up, and they don't actually implant and start uh, developing that until they go into their den. So that's like December. And so technically, you know, you got gestation that's that whole period, but really, you know, it, it's, it's very compressed. And what that allows them to do is to build up that fat layer, like I was talking about, September, October, and they get all that fat layer built up without the nutritional expense of growing offspring because you know that that's, right. that's going to yeah. be a, lot, a big toll physiologically. Mm -hmm. So what they can do is develop those embryos after they've, you know, after they've built up that fat layer and then rely on that to, to sustain themselves and their cubs once they go into yeah. the den. And so they'll have those usually somewhere around mid-January. And so we're, you know, mid to late January. So we're hitting those, um, those cubs in the first couple weeks in March. We're, we're trying to hit, you know, right there about five or six weeks old. Okay, so they're five or six weeks old. So you don't have to worry about it if they were in labor or whatnot. But, but dude, I'm glad that's only in bears. Could you imagine? <laughs> Which I'm married now. Could you imagine the old lady showing up and like six months later, hey, I'm two weeks pregnant. No, no. Well, the, uh, the cool, uh, I bet one thing that women would be envious of is they're only about eight to 10 ounces, uh, you know, 12 ounces or so when they're born. Really? Yeah, little bitty. Okay. And so, you know, compare that with a, yeah, my, my wife was, had two my boy nine, was 10. Yeah, yeah my two, boy was 10. Eight yeah. plus pounds babies. Yeah, so. yeah, I couldn't deal with that. Hey, Six months later, I ain't seen you in six months. I'm two weeks pregnant. <laughs> uh, we got to have a different plan here. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so when you see a bear and you find it denned up, because you, you find, like you said, you get them from whether landowners call or you reach out to people and you know they got bears on the area, but this time of the year, you're finding den females. Do you do any males? Do they den Typically, up? Typically, well, they they will, but they usually don't den for as long, and they usually don't den um, as early. So, you know, your females are going to, especially your pregnant females. Uh, another side note: they only breed every other year. So those, ah. so, the, so you, let's say we go back to our sow with cubs. So those cubs are going to come out with her in the springtime. So you're going to spend that whole first year. They're going to den again uh, as as yearlings, and then when they emerge the second spring. Then they'll disperse sometime after mm -hmm. the after the spring green up, and then before the next breeding cycle, which is going to be you know July or August, and then the cycle starts over again. And so we only do den checks on the females that we have collared, and the the and specifically the collared females that we expect to have cubs. And okay. so we've got records of who's who's had cubs and who hasn't. So who should be bred this year and who probably isn't, and then kind of go from there. I got you. I got you. All right. Well, that kind of makes sense. Well, like, like I said, I, I just didn't know on that part, but oh, I'm trying to think about what else, when it goes into that. So when you know you already have it, so you sedate, you sneak up on them basically, and you, you sedate them, you already kind of know, uh, I guess when you trapped them, you already kind of know how big they are. So how much sedation to give them. Cause it, yeah. Because that's another thing that I've run into with, with some other experiments that, you know, animals may get too much or not enough and then you're, you're struggling mm -hmm. with it or whatever but uh so you kind of y'all kind of know how big the bears are like what's a big bear what's a small like you know a, 
what are their average weight here in Mississippi? Yeah, so typically most of our females, they're going to run anywhere from, you know, 150, 175 pounds all the way up. I think our biggest one we worked up this year was 240, 250, okay. something like that. And then your males, you know, they're going to run usually high 200s to, you know, 350, 350 plus. Uh, the biggest male that we worked up this past summer was in uh, Roxy, Mississippi, Franklin mm-hmm. County, and he was 384. Wow. Uh, we had another one in uh, Jackson County that was 375, and then one other one in Claiborne that was 381. So I got you. right there, you know, real close to 400. But the thing about it is you take that same bear and fast forward several months where he's got all that fat and he's, you know, 400 plus. Right, right, right. So does they look big. Like people see a 300-pound hog all the time, you know, uh, quotations, you know. <laughs> yeah. But on the hoof, they look really big. Right, right. You know, when I'm dragging them up on the trailer, they're heavy, but they don't look really big. So do they really look big? Like, I would say it's even harder. I mean, like looking at a whole bunch of, of both animal, mm-hmm. I would say it's even harder to judge the weight on a bear than it is on a pig. Okay, because yeah. I get it and, all the time. And people, and like same thing, they'll, they'll say, I got a 500-pound bear. It's possible, but you probably don't. Right. You, know, you probably yeah. got a 300-pound bear. Yeah, I get it all the time, man. I got 400-pound hog. Can't nobody catch him. And I'm like, well, I mean, I don't know if he's 400 pounds, but, you know, everybody always. And I right. get people asking me all the time, send me pictures. How much do you think this hog weighs? I'm like, dude, mm-hmm. I always tell people 185. Everything is 185. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think I think the biggest one I've actually put hands on was 320-something. I mean, really? and, and people don't understand how big of a pig that is. Right. That is a really big hog. So so bears don't – so when I grew up in school, they just told me bears go to sleep in the wintertime. Is, is it actually like a real hibernation? Like, or it really – I guess it couldn't be because they're for nursing, right? Or, or Well, my- so it's it's – more that's why i use the term denning and people understand the word hibernation and like they understand what that means and so it's it's a it's not a bad term to use it's just not completely accurate right <clears throat> so typically hibernation would be like your rodents where they're literally unconscious you've got heartbeats that are you know almost non-existent it, we're talking about way way down really? in metabolism and all that uh versus a bear they do have a suppressed metabolism suppressed heart rate and respiration and all that uh, essentially, you can look at it more of as a power save mode, right. and so you know that that adaptation is to overcome periods where there's not a whole lot to eat, right? Mm-hmm. So they can rely on those fat. Well, the the less power you you need to fuel that machine of the body, the more the further you can make those fat reserves last, right? And um, you know there's a, a pretty good case to be made for the availability of feeders that has come about in the last you know five ten years that's actually suppressed some of that denning behavior because the whole reason that you would go in, you know, not including a pregnant female that has to, to to have cubs, that's the whole reason that you would go into a den is to overcome that that period of you know really cold and and you know nutritional uh, lack. Well, if you've got hundreds of pounds worth of free calories out there, then why den? That's right. So, that's right. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of a a, yeah. a brief rundown. And, it's, and it's, it's it's totally I say the opposite. How would you say it? It's hard to catch pigs when everybody's got deer feeders out, but as soon as deer season's over with and they stop spending the money on it, then it's a lot easier because those pigs need those calories and they're looking for the, you know, and it, it makes it a lot easier. A lot easier to, to get them on bait. A yep. lot easier to get them on bait. And uh, people are mad. I say mad, but they're always asking me, like, from that November, I'll trap a little bit in October, but that November till right now, I just don't do a whole lot of trapping. And, and people are like, why, why? I'm like, it's not worth my time. It's hard to compete. Yeah, I mean, it's I like to be to off. Of, I like to be on and off in a place, no more than a week, unless it's got a ton of hogs. But you know, I like to catch on the third night, and I'm moving my trap by the fifth night. You know, and I'm right. jumping to the next spot. You mm-hmm. know, if 
if the hogs are caught. You know, sometimes it's more, like you know, multiple sounders. You you know, but right. uh, with the bears. But like I said, I'm really intrigued, and I'd like to see how y'all do all that. I saw some stuff where y'all took like some veterans that kind of got to learn and show mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So it's very intriguing to me. Uh, because I know nothing about the bears, but I guess if you got bears, like I said, I just never knew if it if it was a nuisance to the landowner. But how many? So how many collared bears do y'all have now? So we we have twenty two right now. We started off uh, August of twenty August of twenty twenty two. We had eight. So over kind of a little bit over a year, um, we've been able to put out a good many. I've got ten more collars that are being made. Um, you can't exactly order them off Amazon, so you got to right, <laughs> they, right. They they're make not, them yeah, they're not cheap. But, so uh, I understand that. But I've got ten more that are supposed to be here in the spring, so some sometime in March. Okay. Well, going back for the people that's on here that's listened to the last podcast, where I was kind of in my feelings about some collaring, uh, on your collaring aspect of it, I don't know if you're allowed to talk about it, or I don't want to put any badness or anything. But are, are you pretty percentage wise good on? not having any issues because a bear, I mean, they're like a raccoon. They get their hands in anything. So when they put that collar on, it's not like a deer where they just got to wear it for say, I mean, do those, do they get pretty adjusted to it pretty quick or, uh, you know, do they sit around? I know y'all have like surveillance and stuff and all that, but have you seen where it's like a big problem or? So the only one that I can really think of, and I don't mind talking about any of this, by the way. Um, so we build, there, there are several fail safes in built into, all these collars, really, including the one you were talking about with the deer. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the collars, if not all, uh, have a blow-off built into it. And so at a certain date, a certain time, they're pre-programmed where there's a small little charge in there that turns a key that allows that, that collar to fall off. Okay. So is it perfect? No, but there is that fail-safe. And then we also put a leather strip, a little spacer, in our collars where that way, even if the battery dies, even if we can't find it with VHF, even if the the blow off collar, you know, the the blow off mechanism fails, it still will eventually that that leather is going to get worn and it's going to rot and crack and eventually fall off. Right, right. And so we we try to build as many fail safes in as we can. Are you going to have problems every now and then? Sure. Um, most of the time, it's with a an animal that's about a year old because they've still got a lot of growing. A lot of growing. Uh, you know, we build in room to where when they build when they build that fat layer in the fall that they're still going to have enough room there. Yeah. Uh, but it really is a delicate balance between, you know, having the collar tight enough where it's going to stay on and not get kicked off because, like you said, those collars aren't cheap and we're trying to get data. That's very valuable data. Right. So you don't want them kicking a bunch of collars, but at the same time, you want to make sure that you've got it built in, you know, enough space there where it's safe for the animal too. Right. And, um, and you know, that's another good thing. We've got a lot of good relationships with our landowners and there are some bears, especially in the Delta, I literally get pictures of them two or three times a week. Right. Like there's so many cameras. And, and with the you know, the prevalence of cell cameras now, I'm getting pictures just all the time of those bears. So I'm able to get a pretty good eye on them. Right. Well, that's all right there. And like I said, I already know because everybody, you know, they was kind of talking about me. I was like, you might not ever have an issue. And, you know, and there would be the one guy, whether it be me or, you know, oh, terrible Tommy somewhere that just was like, you know, I hate this program because of this or that. Have y'all ever had to? So it's illegal to shoot bears in Mississippi. Right. It's illegal to poison any wild game animal based mm-hmm. other than rats mm-hmm. that I know of, uh, even when it comes to pigs, you know. But uh, do you have y'all ever had any issues that you could talk about like that? Like have you maybe collared um, one that somebody shot or collared or somebody? We had – so we had one – 
there have been collared bears that have been shot before, you know, illegally, and and they, you know, there were jail time and fines and yeah. stuff associated with that. Obviously, uh, there was one last year, kind of right before I came on, uh, right there on that Alabama line. Excuse me, Arkansas. I keep saying Alabama. Right there on that Arkansas line, and the it was a camp where there was Arkansas and Mississippi in the camp, mm-hmm. and the bear went over into Arkansas and got you know legally shot by a hunter. But that was one of those like you you kind of hate to see it, but it wasn't really anything nefarious or or illegal about it. It was just kind of what happened. Um, and then you know we had one in the Delta where the collar started to get tight, but again that fail safe that we built in, or I say we that the, that the company built That's into right. it. You know that that satellite signal was sent. The collar popped off, and I went and recovered it. You know later on that day. So, okay. you know it was. Um, you know, like I said, we've we've been really, you know, fortunate in the fact that it's extremely rare that we have any kind of issues like that. Right. Okay. Well, that's well. I know you were saying something about following when you couldn't get that signal in, when they're in those dens, those cypress trees, and whatnot. And you got that little signal, handheld signal. So, like, how close do you got to be for you? Like me, I'll walk up on a snake. I won't see a snake in a minute. And I could just imagine you'd be like. Like the old dog hunters, you know, they're they're out there beeping their dogs. They don't it's, have it. Yeah, same type thing. Um, <laughs> be like, <laughs> play hide and seek. Yeah, it's kind of an Easter egg hunt. But so it, it kind of depends on how, you know, what kind of good solid position I've got. If I've got a position that I think is pretty close with that bear, then we'll just go on the ground and find it. And so again, it's you know, once you get to a certain point, there's a couple of tricks you can use to kind of tell how far away you are. And then you're just kind of looking to see what looks like it could be a den. Sometimes it's 60 feet in a tree in a, in a hollowed out cypress. And then sometimes it's in a, you know, a blow down on the ground. Sometimes it's just kind of a depression at the base of a tree. You, I got you, you. just never really know. Um, I will say that as good as they are, most hunters out there have probably, you know, if you're in places where you see bears, it's likely you've walked right past one and never knew it was there. Really? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And then if, if I just have no idea, and I know that, okay, well, this bear is somewhere in the South Delta, but I really don't know. Um, I've actually got a flight scheduled in, in mid-February where we've got antennas on the on the wings of the aircraft. I can toggle back and forth from left to right and listen for them. And then once I, once I you know, hone in on one particular frequency, then we basically do a spiral closer, uh, you know, kind of, yeah, kind of a spiral in and down to, to pinpoint where it is, we can usually get, you know, a couple hundred yards, and then we'll go in on the ground and find it. I got you. I got you. Well, I remember the only, only thing I've ever had an encounter with a bear, and it really wasn't me encountering because I, I, I can't think I've, I've never seen a bear in the wild. But uh, we had a lady. I used to live on in the north northern west part of Clay County, and we had a lady call the sheriff's department. Said she was out there doing her, on her clothesline, and she had a big wood pile back there, and she said, Oh, she called. She was just raising cane. She said a bear done come up to her back on a wood pile and stood up and was waving at her. <laughs> said it had a big orange collar on it. And uh, I don't know if you ever used orange collars, but I had a 110-pound black lab. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they called the law out there and said it was a big old black bear out there. And uh, it, we don't ever know if it was my dog or if, it, if a black bear done come through there. But she said it had a big orange collar on it. She said it stood up on the wood pile and waved at me. Oh, they done. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's no telling, but uh, but do y'all get a lot of crazy? Call? Do y'all have like people just want you to come get a come get a bear? Like, yeah, like, I don't yeah, want it here. It's I usually mean, people, like I said, it's usually people that have gotten feeders torn up. Yeah. that say, you know, what are you gonna do about your bear? Like I put it there. You're right, you know? right, right. Yeah. And um, <laughs> I'm like, well, yeah. I'm not gonna do anything. Right. Um, but again, that that's why I try to get that information out. Is like, 
to where they understand that relocation isn't an option. Like yeah. even if there were, you know, 20 of me and that was something that we could do, it's still not a viable option for, for the bear. Yeah. You know? If you don't want, if you don't want bears there, which I mean, I like feeding deer cause I like to put up cameras and I like to see what's on the land. So, I mean, even if you, even if you couldn't hunt over feed, I'd want something where I just, I like, I enjoy just like when I watch hogs. I scout hogs. I know what hogs the bully hog. I enjoy just watching that because we have that live feed camera. So I just right. love watching deer interact and stuff like that. Yeah, and that's know, what we tell people. You know, if if you do have a bear that's coming to a feeder, either pull the feeder for you know a week or two and let the bear move on because Lord knows there's enough feeders out there where he's going to find another one, um, or you know take it and 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 fortify it in some way where he can't knock it over and it's harder to get into. And, and like right. you, you were talking about the metal feeders earlier, you know. Our recommendation is to just remove it for a little while, but if if you just are absolutely against that, you know there, there's other options out there too. Yeah, I mean I I, I love because we had to call it hog proof feeders, and I get it all the time they're like, you know, I want my hogs gone. Somebody say, well, stop feeding and they'll leave. Well, when it comes to hogs, I want you to keep feeding so they'll stay there because if you quit feeding, they just go to the next spot. The hogs right. just reproduce so fast, like so in the opposite way. You know, if you don't want the bear there, you can feed. He'll move on to a different property, or he may he may live there, but he won't tear up anything. Right. Uh, move over, like I said. So, I don't know what is the end goal or the plan. I say end goal. He's been doing this since two thousand three. What is like to just keep? What is the end goal for this? For I guess for this bear program to yeah. make sure that nobody's messing with them, to make sure they're just. Well, the, the reason I the reason I brought up the the history, it kind of where we were, and then you know all that was. You know, black bears were an important game species in the state. Um, they were they were plentiful enough to where they could be hunted and harvested. Obviously, they were over harvested in the past. But what we hope is that population continues to naturally grow like it has been, and eventually we'll have an, a hunting season again in Mississippi for black bear. Right. Uh, you know, it happened. Arkansas just opened a uh, a section of their state in southeast Arkansas, which borders Mississippi, and then Louisiana will have their first bear season in 2020, in the spring of, uh, excuse me, fall of 2024. And so, you know, that's 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 conservation, right? right. That's, that's the nuts and bolts of conservation. So, you know, we hope they follow that same trajectory that the white-tailed deer has, that the wild turkey has, like you yeah. know, stuff that you and I take for granted and never think about the history of, those were all things that if you saw a turkey track or if you saw a deer track on your place as as our granddaddy's age, right? Uh, you called the family and, and had a party because that was a special thing because yeah. they just weren't around. And, you know, through conservation and the hunters and fishermen funding stuff like what we're doing now. The hunters and fishermen funding. Exactly, yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and, and brought those species back to where they are now yeah. and to okay. where we never even think about them, you know, think twice about that being a game species. That's what we hope for the black bear. That's right, because I remember, like I said, my dad. We, we used to have a doe day. I can, I mean, I was a child, but we had a doe day, and now it's like, you know, kill your five or hunt, yeah. your, hunt your five just to help out. It's just grown and boosted that much, you know. Yeah, and to put that in perspective, a lot of the older generation still have big problems shooting does oh because it was just so ingrained at that time because they just weren't around. Yeah, you know? and I have on social media part of it, a lot of people up north. Uh, different states, you know, they have a one buck or one doe or, or one tag, and you can take either or or how it is. And then I'm down here, and I think I shot four does this year. And uh, they're like, you know, how much meat does one man need? I'm like, 
it's legal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who said I was eating it all? You know, yeah. but, and and I mean that was and and you still didn't fill your bag limit. By the way, you got yeah. what end of the day? I think <laughs> I got a few more. I got another hour. <laughs> yeah, so we were wrapping up. Huh? But um, well, but no, last I mean, that's, though, that last though brought a lot of heat or not heat, but you know, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. I better uh, just <laughs> quit while you're ahead. Huh? No. But um, but no, I mean that's you know that was part of what Mississippi Wildlife and Fisheries was trying to convey this year was you know. Because the average hunter in Mississippi kills, I think it's 1.2 deer per per year. And that's what we were trying to get out was, you know, because when you're trying to manage an entire state's population, you just look at trends versus the very specific stuff. Right. And so that's, you know, one of the messages that they were trying to get out was, you know, shoot shoot one more. If you normally shoot four, shoot five. If you normally yeah. shoot one, shoot two, that kind of thing. I got you. Well, I remember when, and not to jump too far off sir, uh, track, but I just remember like when they first started the app, it was, it was so easy turn in if you killed your turkey or whatever. And I remember it was like, so it said something on the app about your location. I was like, well, hold up now. <laughs> yeah. Don't be coming in. <laughs> it's, you can ask anybody. Their local, I'd rather ask a turkey hunter what kind of underwear he had on than where he killed that turkey. I know that's for a Hold up now. We ain't giving locations now. But uh, it is so easy now. And like I said, uh, if you for you know, I don't know how strict it is on, on the deer and everything, but uh, I mean, I, I preferred it the turkey be strict on making sure you report that, you know, but, uh, but on the deer, you know, I try to always make sure I get it reported by 10, you know, but when you shoot one in the evening and you get one skin out and you come home you talk to the next thing, you know, you're like, man, I got to report that deer, you know? Yeah. So, but it also that kind of stuff, you know, they're not looking to just give you a ticket for that. They're looking for that information to know how many deer we've taken this yeah. year or, or, you know, and kind of get those estimates to know, up or down or, you know, good or bad yeah, or whatnot. That's exactly right. And that's, you know, that's what you try to communicate to people is, you know, there's nobody sitting there behind a computer somewhere trying to hunt your spot. It's just trying to gather that data to make, you know, the more data we've got, the more, the better decisions, you know, management decisions you can make. Right. And we just didn't have an alligator season here. Right. Well, we had always had, you always heard people had alligators down there in Tibby Creek and stuff like that, you know, and heard people, I seen a 12 footer, you know, and all this. And, and now you got an alligator season here or, or weekend. I don't know. I'd I never get drawn. I go to Florida. It's, it's yeah. easier to hunt them down there. So, yeah, a lot more, I guess. But, but, uh, but to your point, though, you know, that, that, that season started off, I think it's 50 permits that were issued. And now there's almost a thousand issued statewide every year. You right. know, so it's just, it's right. another one of those things that's, that's data driven and, you know, they're up to a point now where, you know, it's it's becoming more and more of a normal thing to go alligator hunting in Mississippi. Right, right. When I tell people all the time, you know, there's a lot of things you can donate uh, to the departments and stuff like that. But I just tell people, buy your hunting license. You know, just buy those hunting licenses. You may not be able to hunt, but if you buy those hunting licenses, uh, you know, that's, that helps pay for a lot of, of, of things. I don't know all the funding details, but, you know, that's just something simple that you can do if you're worried about, donation to this because you know every time i buy a license it says do you want to donate this or you want to donate that you know right. and uh, i just tell people just buy the hunt license that's something you're going to use or have the option to use right. you know and and, uh, and not to get too far off in the weeds on this too but i mean you know that's that's the reason that those hunting licenses exist all of that money there's no other thing it can legally be spent on other than conservation in the state it was purchased right and so all of those you know all that money is goes directly towards things like maintaining food plots on WMAs, road systems, uh, all of our private land stuff, all of our you know species specific programs, all of that you know conservation, all these species we've talked about. That was all funded by hunters and fishermen, uh, right. hunter, hunters and fishermen. And so, you know, it's it's really kind of a point of pride for me because it's one of the few 
you know, state or federal systems where the people that are paying into it are the direct beneficiaries of, you know, right. of, of who's make, you know, you're, yeah. you're paying into the system that you're benefiting from. That's right. That's right. Like I said, we, we try to think about, you know, I've been down to the refuge. I trap around the refuge on some private land and stuff like that. And all that benefits from people like us. I mean, anybody can, you can go walk on the refuge and do all this, but do you don't have to buy a permit to walk on it, do you? You got to buy a permit to hunt it. Is that correct or no? Uh, I see people all the time taking use, pictures. Of- to use the permit, and so I, or excuse me, to use the area mm-hmm. uh, recreationally, I and so you. I, if you're just like if you're, you know, a lot of those are public roads. So if you're just driving through, I don't think. But if you're yeah. actually getting out and and walking or taking I, pictures or whatever, I, I think you do still have to have it. I bet a lot of people don't know that because uh, I've seen a lot of pictures. Me and my wife, being one, took pictures for before we got married. And not to send her to jail or anything over a $15 <laughs> permit, but I know she didn't have a refuge permit for us to go take. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And uh, like I said, I, I'm not sure but uh, what exactly, like how that is, is quantified. I'm sure. Yeah. There's, well, I'm just getting at the point. That, yeah. But. I'm just, I guess I'm more, I'm getting more at the point of the hunters are usually the ones that, like I said, they benefit, but they pay for a lot to where right. a lot of people that maybe don't believe in hunting. They would still get to be able to use some of those same resources. Maybe you don't believe in hunting bear, but buying that license helps that research to grow the population of that bear, opposed to where some people just think putting bird seed out in a feeder that's helping wildlife. You mm-hmm. know, I really just call it being government fed. You know, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I mean, yep. they're just going to keep coming there and, you know, keep getting what they want. But uh, anyway, is there anything else you want to throw out there? Well, uh, one thing that we hadn't, we, we kind of touched on a little bit, but, you know, one of the things that I try to convey to people is as far as like living with black bears and, you know, we've basically got two options. Um, black bears are a native wildlife species. They're they're coming back naturally. So we can either be proactive and, and you know, learn about how to avoid conflict or, you know, we can be reactive and, and, you know, wait until we have a problem in order to try to figure out what to do. And, you know, that's going back to the Mississippi black bears Facebook group, that's, I, I try to sprinkle some of that in along with the research and the, you know, the, the game camera sighting pictures and stuff, uh, is some of the information, uh, bearwise.org has really good information. There's, you know, most of the states in the Southeast that I know of recommend that as a site of, you know, how to reduce conflict. So you mentioned bird feeders, removing bird feeders out of the yard. Nope. Not many people think that that's going to be an attractant for a black bear, they're super high in calories. And so, you know, a few mouths full of bird seed is actually, a you know, really high in calories and can convert to a lot of fat. Um, you know, barbecue grills, trash, that kind of stuff. And, and little small adjustments that we can make that could avoid a conflict because once you get a bear habituated, it's usually a path to destruction for the bear. And so, and that's what I try to, you know, impress upon people is, you know, taking those little small steps to, you know, to, right. to live better and, and, Kind of more responsibly and safer for both parties. That's right, because a lot of times they get habitual because by the time that you're – if a bear come back up here in my backyard right now, in the back of this trailer, I had a bird feeder back there. About three or four days of, that's cute. But now he's done got habitual, and by the time – and by the time what we consider like a nuisance would be my dogs are always barking at his bear or maybe he's pulling the pots off the back porch or, you know, he want more bird seed, so he's tearing the bird feeder. By the time we consider it, a, 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 mentally we consider it a nuisance by this point, now we can't break this bear, you know. Right. <laughs> so, well, and that's, I mean, that's what you're doing, right? Because how do you train a dog? 
You right, give sir. them to perform a certain action, and then you usually give them treat. a treat in some form of food, right? Right. And so, you know, that's that you're doing the same exact thing because that bear is performing a certain action, and then he's getting positive reinforcement for performing it, and so he gets trained to do it again and again. Right. And like going back to your example, what happens when that bear comes to the back of the yard and the bird seed's gone? Well, now we're looking for a different source of food, that's and then it. and then we're you know, possibly tearing into a shed or we're getting into a car. And then you've got real problems to try to navigate versus taking it away in the first place, letting him go do his thing and, and you know. Yeah, because my happy. dogs, they'll beat at the door. You'll hear them just run into the door like it ain't there when they're <laughs> hungry, like, hey, you ain't fed us today. Yeah. You know, not that I don't feed my dogs. They just got, <laughs> they want to be fed when they want to be fed. So that's kind of, so I, I kind of believe in that. Oh, uh, understand that as well. Oh, uh, well, like I said, it's very interesting. I can't maybe wait to to see some of that action. Maybe one day, you know, I don't know when the near future. Yeah, to you have to come out with sometime. I'll be. Um, and that was another thing I was going to say. You know, we're trying to kind of concentrate our trapping in in uh, Southwest and Southeast mm-hmm. Mississippi. And so, you know, if there's anybody out there looking to to help us with this, you know, some trapping and some collaring, you know, especially after March when I get those collars in. I'm looking to put those things out. So okay. if there's any you know properties out there that see bears a good bit, there's more and more people running cameras these days. And um, you know, join the Facebook group and let me know if you're seeing bears on your yeah, place. Yeah, Mississippi black bears. Uh, I joined it today, looking through and trying to get you know educated on it as fast as I could. But you know, my knowledge is a little slow. But like I said, the end goal is, like you said, get something for our kids, our grandkids to be able to enjoy, even if you're not a hunter. Um, you get to help bring that back and bring it back strong. And um, but other than that, we always want some wildlife. As bad as I don't care for the hogs, and I and I and I feel uh, like I did a good job when I take out as many as I can. Uh, we still don't want everything gone. I don't think we want to extinct anything, you know. And we got universities that are are doing their best on that. We got some that's trying to come up with a with a with a poison to kind of lower that. You know, right. we just got to make sure we. We don't have bears getting in it. And that's a whole different podcast, believe me. I, <laughs> no. I went down that road further than I ever wanted to. But uh, So I understand. So, uh, But that being said, man, if you don't have anything else, uh, I appreciate you being here, joining my trailer hood. And just for, for you to know, the candle lit and the flowers was not meant to be. <laughs> the atmosphere's there, man. I got to give you that. <laughs> I had the man a drink out. I got the I got the candle burning. Got the flowers out. That's first rate, buddy. I like it. <laughs> I told him come on in. Welcome to the trailer hood. But anyway, I bought my wife some flowers yesterday, and she lit a candle. So anyway, uh, I appreciate you, Anthony. And uh, man. We'll just keep hammering those bears and figuring out, researching, and pulling that blood and make sure they ain't too close to kin like the rest of us. <laughs> Sounds good, man. I appreciate the invite. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, y'all, hope y'all enjoyed today's episode of the Y'all Y'all Show. Y'all make sure we're going to go check out that Mississippi Black Bears and check out everything that you can. Thank y'all for being here. Y'all have a good one. God bless. And as always, Jesus loves you. Arr!